Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. I think I'm supposed to be over here a little farther. There we go. Everybody doing all right? Those of you that are watching online, how are you? Okay, good. Glad you're doing good too. Uh, as Matt said, we are excited about our pumpkin parties coming up on your way out today. Make sure you pick up, we have a few more invite cards. Make sure you pick up a few invite cards to give out. And if you still are looking to serve, you can do that by just getting into the app in the announcements. And we still have some spots available uh, to kind of join the team uh, that's going to be helping put those on. And so, uh, so this week, uh, just yesterday, Kate and I, so our family, different places, Lori was at a conference, and uh, then Julia was doing some stuff, and Austin, he was working, and so Kate and I, we went, we had to find soccer cleats. So my daughter Kate is not an athlete, uh, but she's joined a little soccer team, and so her, her goal was she wanted pretty soccer cleats, she could really care less if they worked well, but we went, we finally found some, but then we were near Hobby Lobby, and we're like, you want to go into Hobby Lobby, and and look at the Christmas stuff. So we're, we're like people that love to get into Christmas early. Lori doesn't let us uh, much, but when Lori's not with us, we can sneak some Christmas music in and stuff like that. So, uh, so we went to Hobby Lobby and we were looking around. And, and this week, uh, I kind of started to think about Christmas because our team got together and we began to plan out the kind of all the things that are going to happen uh, at Christmas time around here at City Walk. And one of the things we talked about was we started to talk about our favorite Christmas movies. And so as you think about favorite Christmas, you're like, I am not allowing myself to think about a Christmas movie until Thanksgiving. But if you were going to think of one, like some of you probably have a favorite. And we were kind of discussing this. We were sitting down right here and we were kind of preparing for December here at City Walk. And so we were talking about how some of us loved uh, It's a Wonderful Life and the White Christmas, kind of some of the classics. Uh, some of people like The Grinch and Home Alone. And, and then we even talked about if, if Die Hard was really a Christmas movie or not. And there was some disagreement uh, about that at our table. But, but we talked about different, and, and different people had kind of different movies that they liked and that were important to them for different reasons. And, and probably... Whether it's a Christmas movie uh, or, or another movie, you have a, probably a certain type of movie that you lean into. So like Christmas movies, maybe you lean into just the classics and, and you're just going to put that white Christmas on repeat the, like the whole month of December and that, that's just you. Uh, or maybe you, you like the more adventure and, and some of the newer things. And, but probably, again, whether it's a Christmas movie or not, you lean into certain types of movies that you look forward to. You might be the type that, man, the more explosions in a movie, the better. And for you, it's like action and adventure, and that's kind of what the type of movies that you like uh, others of you, you, you were like, man, the, if like you want to go through a whole box of tissues during the movie. And I mean, you want some drama. You want to cry at the movie. And so you lean in. I see some of you looking at the person next to you. You lean into movies where it's just you're going to feel it. You're going to cry with the people. You're ready to go. You actually want to, to feel that way. You put movies on that you know are going to make you cry. And that's kind of the type of movie that you like. And then every once in a while, a movie will come around that isn't maybe a big box office hit. It's not one that all your friends have watched, but it's a movie that really you like. Because, man, you maybe feel the storyline, and you might really relate to one of the characters in the movie. And so though it's not a big box office hit, though a lot of people don't love it the way you do, 
there are certain movies that you probably like because of certain characters and just the story, and, and you kind of feel those, and to you, those movies are important and special. If you were going to take the books of the Bible and kind of the stories of the Bible, and you were to make movies about all of them, the book of Ruth would kind of fit in that category of a, a movie that doesn't have any big explosions, there's no big miracles of God. There, there's no big healings in the book of Ruth. There's, there's, there's not a lot of like stuff that would really make everybody want to go see this movie. It was, it's, it's just a story about some pretty ordinary people that make some decisions that to them, at this point in their life when they made them, they probably didn't seem like huge decisions. They were just ordinary, normal decisions that to them weren't that big of a deal. But what we're going to find as we look at the book of Ruth is we're going to find that, you know what, we actually relate a lot to stories like this. Because as much as we like the, the big moments in life, as much as we like the, the big vacations and the, the big moments that we can take pictures of and post and, and make huge memories of, if we're honest, we would probably all admit that, you know what, most of our life isn't like that. Most of our life is made up of ordinary days where we make pretty ordinary decisions and then we do it again the next day. And for most of our lives, that's, that's kind of how life goes. And, and that's the book of Ruth. But, but here's the thing that we're going to see in Ruth's life. Our ordinary decisions are what God uses to do extraordinary work. And maybe you've seen that in your life, where you some things that you thought were just normal days, ordinary decisions, you realize later, wow, that was bigger, there was more going on than I expected, than I thought. God did something with that that I did not expect. And that's kind of how the book of Ruth works out. Ruth is written by a guy by the name of Samuel. He probably wrote it towards the end of the 11th century. And the main character in the book of Ruth is Guess. Ruth, yeah, she's like, woo, good for you. Yeah, yeah, Ruth. Ruth is a, a Moabite woman who marries a Hebrew guy. And Ruth is actually somebody that down the line would have some, a kid. And, and then that kid would have a kid. And she became the King David's great-grandmother. And the book of Ruth starts by giving a little bit of context because the book of Ruth is this small book in the midst of the big story of the Old Testament. And, and the very first phrase in the book of Ruth kind of gives us some context of what's going on uh, during this time. It says this, in Ruth chapter 1, it starts like this, during the time of the judges... And when you and I, when we think of judges, you think of somebody with a gavel that you don't want to go stand before and, and is in a robe, and that's kind of what we think about when we think of judges. But judges of this day were people that were local leaders that God had kind of raised up to help Israel kind of get out of a pinch. Israel had a, a knack for getting itself into wars and kind of getting itself into trouble. And so God would raise up different judges. And these judges were just local leaders like Samson was a judge, Deborah was a judge. And he raises up these judges to help Israel in a certain time period get out from under an enemy. And that's kind of what a judge was. And so this all takes place, the book of Ruth takes place during this time period between when Israel had taken the land with Joshua, right in between that and when King David would come on the scene, there was this time period, just this time of the judges, and that's where this book of Ruth and the story of Ruth kind of takes place. And, and if you know anything about Israel's history... You know that the time of the judges was not like a high point for the, the nation of Israel. In fact, it was kind of a, a time period where there was a lot of political chaos. There was a lot of moral chaos. In fact, Judges 17 verse 6 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did 
whatever seemed right to him. And so the story of Ruth takes place in this time period where basically everybody in Israel just did whatever they felt like. And sometimes that led to good things, sometimes that led to really bad things, but it was a time where there wasn't a king and everybody kind of did their own thing and kind of did whatever was right in their own eyes. And so it says this, Ruth chapter 1, during the time of the judges, and then the next phrase says this, there was a famine in the land. So this famine in the land, it doesn't tell us why, but a lot of times why God would send a famine is because Israel had started to worship idols, had started to go away from God's plan for them, and so he would send a famine as a way to kind of bring them back into line. And so it's during this time of the judges, there's a famine in the land, and then it goes on and it says this, it introduces us to this family. It says, a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. And so there, I think we have a map. Yet you have these people that are kind of hanging out right in this area. And this is the area where God has given them. It's the promised land. And and, and because of a famine, because now there's not a lot of rain, which means there's not a lot of food, you have this family that we're introduced to, and they move from a, an area that God had given them, an area that was uh, kind of like the promised land, and they moved to a place that was kind of an enemy of Israel. It was an area that worshipped another type of God, but it was an area that obviously at this point in time, the famine wasn't affecting. And so you have this family that moves from this area and kind of moves about 50 miles and comes down to this area called Moab. And in the next verse, it gives us a little bit more information about this family. It says this in verse 2. It says, the man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. So you have this family. You got this dad and, and his wife. He has two sons. They're, they're feeling some, obviously, pressures from the famine. And so it doesn't tell us what the dad was thinking. It doesn't tell us what his motive is. But he, in his mind, sees an opportunity in Moab. And he decides, hey, I'm going to move my family. And I have a plan. I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to move my family from an area called Bethlehem to an area called Moab. And so that's what he does. And, and as, as I was reading through this, and I think there's a lot here that we can kind of lean into, I started to put myself in this dad's shoes. And I started to ask myself some of these questions. Was this the right move for this family? What Was this an opportunity that God wanted them to step into, or was this a distraction? Was this one of those times where Elimelech kind of got ahead of God, and, and there was some problem, and there was some discomfort, and so he wanted to quickly fix the problem? Or is this what God wanted him to do? And as I was thinking about his life, I thought, what was his motive? Why did he do this? What was his motive that there was uh, kind of some pride? Where, where, man, there was the lifestyle that he was having in Bethlehem. It was kind of a tougher lifestyle. And so he said, you know what? We're going to move and we're going to go somewhere where we can have a different lifestyle. What was he, a guy that was kind of in fear. He, he, he saw that he wasn't in control. He saw that things weren't going well, and he started to fear. And instead of trusting God, he just kind of tried to fix it and, and went to Moab. Was that the, the motive? Was he just lack of contentment? Was it like, you know what? I can't think that God would want us ever to struggle, and so I'm going to move. We're going to do something else because we're struggling, and this can't be God. Like, why did he move? I mean, does opportunity always equal God's best? And, and unfortunately, not always. 
And, and, and this is several thousand years ago, but this is so applicable to us. Does opportunity always equal God's best? In our life and in our society, usually opportunity leads to, and kind of reasons that we move into opportunity are, and there's a lot of reasons, but sometimes it's money. Well, a new opportunity, more money must be God's will. Maybe it's, it's status, and oh, a new opportunity, and, and this is something that's going to give me a different status, a, a better status, and this can apply to a lot of different things. And so, we, we oh, opportunity must mean I'm supposed to go do it, must mean I'm going to step into this. I mean, should I always say yes to an opportunity for myself? Should I always say yes to an opportunity for other people in my family? And then, like, where does God and, and, and my relationship with him, where does it even, like, where does that mix in? Like, should I say yes to the new job? New opportunity, more money. Is that an automatic, like, of course God wants me to do that. That's more money. Should, should, I, should my kid always say yes to the new class, the new team, the new program, the new opportunity? Like, oh, it's a new thing. They're going to get to be with whatever. Okay, it's an obvious yes. Should I always say yes? See, along with maybe looking for, at the salary for the job or along with looking at you know, the other things about the program or the team for the kid, I mean, should we, is it possible that we should ask ourselves this, is this opportunity going to hinder me becoming more like Jesus? Because I think sometimes, and, and we don't know what Elimelech, what his motive was. We know real quickly, you're going to find out it didn't go well. But he obviously stepped into this opportunity for a reason. And, and, and did he step into it saying, hey, this is God's best for us. This is going to help us love God and love our neighbor better. And so this is an obvious thing God wants us to do. Or could there be opportunities that would give us more money and more status that God might not want us to, that actually could hinder our relationship with Jesus? I remember as a kid, I was involved in, in a lot of sports, you know, different, like, like a lot of your kids, and I was involved in a lot of sports. And, and my dad, and I hated it. I absolutely hated this at this point in my life. But my dad, when, when I would be on a team, and there wasn't travel teams and stuff like that back then, at least not as much, but with different teams, American Legion Baseball, these different things, when I would step into uh, make a team, dad would always, obviously he would look at a lot of things, but one of the things he would look at and he would talk to me about was, how's this going to affect your relationship with God? And is this going to keep you away from like a, a network of people that are going to help you move forward in your relationship with God? And so there were times my dad, I, I hated it. He would literally go to my coach and be like, well, my son's not going to be able to be at that or at that because he's going to be at church. He's got a youth group thing and I really want him to be a part of that. And like I said, I remember as a kid just hating that. But I look back now and I'm so glad my dad did. I'm so glad that my dad didn't look at opportunities only through, oh, this, this might help my son do, do this. Or, or hey, this, this job's more money. I, I'm glad that my dad would look at it and say, hey, how is this going to help my son navigate his relationship with God? And I look back now and I think about some of the youth leaders that mentored me and that were a lifeline to me. And in some of the darkest times of my adult life, some of those youth leaders flew hundreds of miles as an adult to be with me. And all that happened as a young person. And I'm so glad my dad said, yes, you're going to be able to do this. And yes, you're going to be able to do this. But your relationship with Jesus is most important. And so we're going to make sure this doesn't hinder that. I'm so glad that he did that. Like I said, I wasn't in the moment for sure. But Elimelech's in this spot where he has to make a decision. And he decides that this opportunity is what he and his family are going to go do. And, and look with me at what happens. Like I said, it didn't go as planned unless Naomi didn't love her husband because the very next phrase says this, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died and she was left with her two sons. 
Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. And so, bottom line, life is not going according to a plan. Probably the plan that they thought. They get to Moab, and shortly thereafter, her husband dies. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Then her sons take wives from a different culture, uh, from a different, they, they worship different gods, and God had told people of Israel, hey, do not marry people that worship other gods. It's going to complicate things. And so Naomi finds herself with her husband gone, and her two sons have now married people that worship other gods, and so life is getting complicated. It's not going according to probably what they had envisioned. But then it says this, it says, after they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died. So now, I mean, they need to check the brownies. Like all these dudes, are they eating the same brownies or what's happening? Because dad dies, then the two sons a few years later die. And so now Naomi is in a spot that she never imagined she would be in. She's in a spot where it says this, it says, uh, it says, and the women was left with her, without her two children and without her husband. And, and in this society, today's society, that would be terrible. But in the society of this day, this was devastating. This was devastating to Naomi in so many different ways. When you, when you would lose your husband and you would lose your, your sons, you were, this was devastating to you, obviously, emotionally. Physically, you didn't have anybody to take care of you as you got older. Financially, because now like your, your sons were going to be there to support you. Obviously, your husband was there, but, but now you don't have any of that. And, and this isn't a day like today. If that were to happen, that lady would be able to go and have a different career and all those things. But in this day, it was, man, this was a tough spot to be in. She finds herself in a different country different culture that worships different gods. Her husband is gone. Her sons are gone. It's not going according to the plan that she had. And then here's what we see as we just kind of try to put ourselves into this. As tough a spot as Naomi is in, God has not forgotten her. And here's also the beautiful thing. Whether they were supposed to be in Moab or not, obviously we don't know. Here's what we know, and we see this through the rest of the story. God is able to use even some decisions of ours that aren't good and aren't right and even could be against his will. And he's able to take those decisions, those bad decisions, and redeem them for our good and his glory. And that's what we see. We see through this story that God takes, man, a really, really tough start and some decisions that probably if Elimelech had to do it over, he probably wouldn't do it the same way. But God takes some bad decisions and he redeems those bad decisions because of his grace and he uses them for his good purposes in our lives. Look what happens next. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So she left the place where she had been living accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. And so you see this moment where Naomi is as desperate as you could be, as hopeless as you could be, probably as broken as you could be, and she makes a decision that, hey, I am going to return. I am going to leave. I am going to go back. And now it's just her and her two daughter-in-laws, and so they begin, it seems like they kind of begin to make their way back. But then verse 8 tells us that Naomi... She, she says something to these girls, and honestly, she tries to get them to stay. It says this, look at verse 8. 
Naomi said to them, each of you go back. Go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown, shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and wept loudly. See, see Ruth and, and Orpah, they were still young ladies. And so they could, they could go back home and they could, man, they could remarry. They could have children. Like, like their, their life, they could still have a great life. There could be a huge new beginning for them. And so as, as they're beginning to make their journey back to Bethlehem, it, it seems like at, at some moment she turns and says, hey, you, you guys got to go back. And you can tell just by their, their weeping and how, just how much they loved each other and how emotionally connected they were. But Naomi said, I want you girls to leave. I want you to go back. I want you to stay. It says this in verse 10. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And so you see this lady, she is, her name actually means pleasant, but she's in a spot now where her life is anything but pleasant. She's bitter inside, she's hopeless inside, and honestly, these two girls only remind her of the bad decisions and the tragedy that she's experienced. And so she says to them, like, girls, like, are you going to wait around for me to get married and have sons and wait 20 years to marry those guys? Of course not. I, I'm not even going to end up getting married. Go back. See, she's in a spot where, and maybe you've, you've had this in your own life. Maybe you're watching online and you felt this way where, I mean, none of us are proud of our bad decisions. Like, like we're not making a plaque. Not, not showing somebody a trophy of a really bad decision we made? Well, of course not. Like when we make a bad decision, when we hurt someone, when we do something that we regret, man, we, we don't want anything to remind us of that. We, we want to leave that and move on. And she's in this spot where, I mean, to be honest, she just wants to be alone. These two girls just remind her of tragedy they're just complicating her life. She just wants to be left alone. Maybe you felt like maybe you've been sick. You know, whenever you're sick and you're like, I, no, I don't want you to come in the room. Just leave me alone. I, I'm not feeling good. Or if you've ever like played on a team and you missed the last shot or you struck out to end the game. I don't want you to come hug me, mom. No, just leave me alone. Like, like you've had times in your, in your life where you're like, I don't want someone to come fix the problem. I just want to be left alone. And that's where Naomi finds herself. She's in a spot where she knows she needs to go back, but she just wants to go back and she just wants to be alone while she's doing it. She kind of wants to just sit in her hurt and bitterness and hopelessness. She doesn't want someone else around. And so the story continues on. It says this in verse 14. Again, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. Ruth, get off me and go home. Don't stay. And it says this in verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you. Like you're wasting your breath. You're wasting your, don't, don't even try to get me to stay here. It says, don't, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. And then Ruth says this, she says this, she makes this huge commitment 
that sounds powerful as we read it, but even more powerful when you think of what she's committing to, to do and what she's leaving to do that. She says this, this is Ruth, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Part of Ruth's decision to go with Naomi was to turn her back on the gods that she had grown up worshiping and to turn herself to the God of Israel and to Naomi's God. And So she says, I'm going I'm to live where you live. I'm going to go where you go. Your God is going to be my God. She says this in verse 17, where you die, I will die. And then, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you from me. Ruth makes this all-in huge decision to turn her back on her life, her, her previous life, to turn her back on the God that she worshiped, to turn her back on the traditions of her land. And she says, I am turning away from all of that. And I am all in. I am following you, Naomi. I am going to worship your God. It, he will be my God. From a human perspective, what, what Ruth is doing, it would have been so much easier just from a human perspective for her to stay in Moab. Like it was her culture, her family. Opportunities for her would have been just from looking at it from an outsider's perspective would have been a much better for her in Moab, a much better opportunity to probably get married again and to, to raise children and to just do all of that. And it was in this moment that Ruth just decided, you know what, I'm going to turn my back on all of that and I'm going to turn to your God and your way and I'm going to go with you. She had no clue. She had no clue at this point how her seemingly small and even unpopular decision would have such an impact in the future. And it says this. It, it, you can tell Naomi's not super thrilled about this. It says this in verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. So you, you can just see this older lady. She's kind of probably upset, like, what? You're not doing what I told you to do? And so she just stops talking to her. That's a long walk, 50 miles, back to Bethlehem, if you're not going to talk to the person. She wasn't thrilled. And, and so it, you, just, you just have these two ladies, and you can almost picture them. You, can, you have these two ladies that just kind of going back to Bethlehem, and one's this older lady, and you just look at Naomi, and, and from a distance, man, you can see, and you, you've experienced this, where you just see somebody come in, and you can tell they have had a bad day. Something is going on. You can just tell by the way they look, and it's probably, that's probably the way Naomi was. It was just, she probably wasn't trying to hide it. She's just miserable, but she knows she needs to go back. She needs to go back to to Bethlehem. And so it says this in verse 19. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So the people, man, they get there and it's like, yay, Naomi's back. And they're like having a good time. And then Naomi shuts that down real quick. It says this in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, because what does Naomi mean? It means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. She answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess, they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It seems like Naomi, I mean, you can just picture this. It, just picture like, do you have like, like a person in your family that like if Jesus showed up with balloons, they would still have a bad day. 
Like, like you, they, if Jesus was the one to bring them a birthday cake, it's like, well, there's not the right frosting on the birthday cake, and so I'm not going to be happy no matter what anybody does. It seems like Naomi's kind of in that spot. Like, she's back home, and people are excited. They're noticing her, and, and they're ready for her. They're excited that she's home, and she's just like, no, hush. I'm not happy. I'm not going to be happy. In fact, don't even call me Naomi because that means I'm pleasant and I am for sure not pleasant. I'm actually very bitter. Basically, God has done me wrong, but now I'm back. Okay. You going to come to the tea tomorrow? No. Okay. I mean, that's, Naomi's just in a spot where she just doesn't want to be, just leave me alone. I'm not going to be happy. But here's what I love about it. Even though Naomi is not feeling it, and, and we can all relate to this. She does the right thing even though she's not feeling it. And you and I, we've had times in our life, and if you're watching online, you've experienced this too, where, you know what? There are times in our life where our feelings, emotions, and our decisions kind of all line up. Like we're feeling it inside. Like we, we, we know this is what God wants. We're, we're feeling it. We're excited about it and kind of our emotions, our feelings, what God wants, it all kind of lines up. And those are awesome. But then we've all also experienced other times kind of like Naomi is in where we're called to obey God before we feel like it. Like we're called to do something, we're called to go somewhere, we're called to, 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 to minister to somebody, and it's like, I am not feeling this, but I'll do it. I'll do it anyway. I, I don't feel like it, my emotions don't make me want to, but I'm going to do it anyway. And this seems to be what Naomi did. She knew that it was the right thing to go back to Bethlehem, to leave Moab. It was the right thing for her, but you can tell that this lady is not a lady that's excited about her decisions. She's not enthusiastic. She's not hopeful. In fact, she's anything but that. Whether you're a person of faith, maybe you're somebody that's investigating faith, maybe you're somebody that's been following Jesus for a long time, that doesn't matter really where you are, probably every single one of us could relate to at least one of the characters in this story. Maybe if you're watching online or you're here this morning, maybe you can relate to Elimelech. And you could see yourself doing exactly what he did. I, I, could, I related to him. Like, hey, my family's facing an issue. There's a, a problem at our home. There's a famine going on. And, and, and you know what? I'm just going to do something to fix the problem. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be put out. And so I'm going to just fix the problem. And it seems to be what Elimelech did. He just decided, you know what? We're just going to get out of here. We're going to go to Moab. And maybe he went with the right motives. Maybe he felt God calling him to do it. But we know it didn't go well for him. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate with kind of getting out in front of God sometimes, doing things, and then like, oh, I hope God's good with this. And maybe you can relate with, hey, stepping out, doing things, and like, whoa, that didn't go as planned. And you just kind of get maybe the cart before the horse sometimes. Or maybe you relate with Naomi. And, and for you, man, you've lost a lot. You've lost a lot. Maybe this past couple years, you've lost a lot. And maybe you wouldn't say it this way, but kind of when you're laying in bed at night, there's times where you think, man, has God got something against me? And maybe as, as Naomi has gone from pleasant and, man, a full family, and now she's a lady that's hopeless and bitter, and maybe you can kind of see yourself in her story a little bit. Maybe you can relate with the loss and the struggle. Maybe you can relate to a lack of joy. Maybe you just have to, you, you've been kind of faking it in front of other people, but, but deep down there's, there's just some hurt. There's some, I don't understand what you're doing, God. Maybe you can relate with Naomi. Or maybe, maybe it's Ruth. Maybe for you, you can relate with Ruth as, man, there's, there's maybe a time in your life where you had to turn your back just and go a totally different direction. 
Or maybe you're in a spot in your life where you feel that tension, where you're, you're, you're doing something, you're going a direction, but, but down deep you know you need to turn away kind of like Ruth did. You need to go a different direction. Maybe you can relate with Ruth. Each of these people, Elimelech, Naomi, Ruth, each of them made decisions that in the moment probably seemed small, maybe inconsequential, but those moments we'll see throughout the story, those inconsequential decisions that they probably didn't think were that big of a deal, they ended up making a huge impact. And as we grapple with their story and as we read through their story and we think about our own lives, there's a few questions I want to throw out to you that I think will help us maybe make some application, maybe think a little bit deeper about the story and the characters in it. The first question is this, what part does my relationship with God have in the opportunities I say yes to? I think this is kind of geared towards Elimelech, maybe if you find yourself in that spot. And, and you just have to grapple with, like, is, 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 it, is God involved in those things? Is, is the idea of, is this good for my family and for me and our walk with Jesus? Is this best? Does that even come into the picture? Or is status, money, opportunity just an automatic yes? This may be a good question to, to think about. Is it, I mean, am I willing to say no to seemingly good opportunities that aren't going to help me move towards becoming more like Jesus? It's a good question to grapple with. Another question that, that may help us grapple with this and maybe personalize it a little bit more is this. Is there an area of my life I am saying no to God in based on my feelings? Maybe you find yourself in a spot like Naomi and you're not feeling going back to Jerusalem, not feeling going back to Bethlehem, and so you just haven't. Like you know God's moving you. You know God wants you to do something. You, you can feel that something, he wants you to do something, but you're just, it's not feeling right on the inside, and so you're, you're kind of putting a halt to it. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's how you handle money. Maybe it's a habit you have. And, and you know God has something different and this isn't what God's best is. You know he wants you to change or move or stop. But because there's some emotions tied to it and it just there's some feelings that it's just not easy and you've just kind of avoided it. Maybe that's a question that you could grapple with. Here, here's, a, here's the last one. Am I in a place where I need to follow Ruth's example and make a radical turn? Maybe you're at a place where, man, you, you know, there's no doubt. You're in a spot where you need to turn. There's some sin in your life. There's some idols you're worshiping. There's some things you're putting before God. And like Ruth, you, you know that, man, I just, I, I don't need to manage this. I don't need to try to get better at this. I just need to turn away. I got to turn away. And, 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 and for you, it's, that's the answer. It's not an easy answer. It's not an answer that a lot of people would, would volunteer to do and be excited about. But for you, you know that, that, man, for my life to please God, for me to walk into what God has for me and his best, Man, I need to make a radical turn away from some things. Maybe that's you. See, very quickly in the story of Ruth, we see that decisions have consequences. Like we're only a few verses into the story, and it's very evident that good decisions, bad decisions, decisions you're not even sure if they're good or bad in the moment, have consequences. And, we, and we've all also begun to see, and we're going to see this in, in a new way here in the next few weeks, we're going to see clearly that, that even when we make the wrong decisions, though there are still natural consequences, God in His grace will use them for His purposes. It doesn't mean that we make bad decisions and kind of like, oh, God's going to fix this. 
because there's natural consequences. But, but the beauty of this is that, and we'll see it in the story of Ruth, is when I make a bad decision, when I sin, when I go a direction God doesn't want me to, God can still use my bad decisions for his glory and my good. And the devil, if, if he has his way, is going to hold you back. He's going to create shame. He's going to remind you of your bad decisions. All the while, God is saying, I'm going to take those bad decisions. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to use them for my glory and for your good. And so it's the beauty of the story that even when we fail, God is faithful. But God also gives us a stewardship of our lives, of our decisions, of our families. And even small decisions should be taken seriously because they have consequences, both good and bad. And so as we look at the book of Ruth over these next few weeks... The question you want to be thinking about is, hey, God, how do you want to use a story with not a lot of miracles, not a, big, a lot of big explosions, not, not one of the books of the Bible? Probably if I said, open your Bible and turn to Ruth, you'd be like, oh, where's that table of contents at? I don't, is there a book of Ruth in here somewhere? But God wants to use this story of Ruth in all of our lives as we try to Make good decisions that help us become more like his son. And here's the beauty. And let me go all the way to the end of the story and kind of give you a little picture of the end. Guess who Ruth is the great, 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 really great grandma of? Jesus Christ. So God uses an idol-worshiping Moabite woman from a different country that probably people in Bethlehem might even be prejudiced of to be in the line of birthing the Savior of the world. You think God can use our bad decisions for His glory? Oh man, if you only knew. And we're going to see more of that in the book of Ruth. But today God wants to say something to all of us. He, he, he wants to use this story to help us become more like his son. And so my question for you is, how does he want to use it in your life? Let's pray. As the band comes back out, and we're getting ready to close in a song. And, and we'll very quickly, like always, and we'll, we'll get, kind of get on with our day and I know we got some meetings after church, and then we're going to, all of us will run home and have some food and watch some games and be with our family, do some things that we love to do. But before we move all into that, does God want to say something to you this morning? Whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, maybe you're here and you would say, Chris, I don't have a relationship with God. You're talking about God and relationship and Jesus, and you know, I've, I've heard of all that, and been around some people that kind of believed in that, but I, I, don't, I don't really have a relationship with God. I'm kind of investigating faith. I'm not really sure what I believe. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you would say, Chris, that, that's me, but man, I, I, I'd like to start a relationship with God. How would I do that? With every head bowed and every eye closed, it's, it's pretty simple. And in fact, it's the most important decision you could ever make. It's the one that has the greatest amount of consequences for good and bad. It starts by just quietly between you and God, just admitting that you need God. Admitting that you've disobeyed him. Admitting that you've sinned, that you've kind of done things your own way. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you say, today I want to start a relationship with God, well, just then just in the quietness of wherever you're at, just from your heart to God, just admit, God, I need you. I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. I've tried to do things my way. Just tell him, just right now. And then just tell him, God, I believe. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the grave 
for me. Just tell God, I, I believe that Jesus paid for my sin when he died. Just tell God. And then just ask, God, would you come into my life? Would you transform me? I want a relationship with you. Just tell him. If you're here this morning and, and you've made that decision, as I was speaking out loud, you were praying to God in your heart. And we would we'd love to know about that decision. You can let us know by, there's a little decision card right in front of you that you can take out and while the band's playing the last song. You could just fill that out. Drop it in the offering basket or you can take it to the next steps table. We'd love to know about your decision. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and you can sign one of those cards there. For a lot of us, we've already made that decision. Maybe when you were younger, maybe just a few weeks ago, but there's been a time in your life where, man, a lot of us, have we've already made the decision to follow Jesus, to believe the good news. And for those of us that have already made that decision, is there a character in the story of Ruth that you related to? Is there something that the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you is nudging you in even in this moment? Maybe for you it's an opportunity. And for you it's always just been a yes. You haven't taken into consideration your relationship with God and how that plays out. And maybe for you today, it's just saying, hey, God, from now on, as I, as our family considers opportunities, Lord, you are going to be a part of that. Maybe that's the decision that God's nudging you about. Maybe it's that you're in a spot where you know God wants you to do something or you know God wants you to stop doing something and you just don't feel it inside. You're not feeling it. There's emotions tied, but you know God wants you to do it. And for you, it's today just saying, God, even before I feel like it, I'm going to obey you. Or maybe you're in Ruth's spot. And you just need to make a hard turn. You're going down a road that you know is not right. It's destructive. You know it has consequences you don't want to bear. And for you, today's the day where you just say, God, I am turning away from that. Would you take whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you and take it seriously? Because here's what the scripture also says. We can get to a spot where we say no to the Holy Spirit so much that we stop hearing him. And I would think that would be the ultimate tragedy. And so if he's saying something to you today, would you just be sensitive to it and do it? God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and that we would simply say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.